Good evening. Welcome to Tuesday Evening Chapel. Welcome to the first chapel service of 2011. And welcome to the real winter in Colorado. It is our, uh, it is our privilege to have Dr. Jay Ott, uh, Vice President for Academic Services for the campus as the preacher this evening. Would you welcome him? He came all the way from wherever he lives to be here today <laughs> to, to uh, minister the word to us. Looking forward to it. Um, our theme for this session, for uh, this term, is Hear My Lord, Restore Me. Uh, say it one more, with me one more time. Hear My Lord, Restore Me. Uh, someplace in your, um, in your student mailbox, you should have seen one of these today. Um, just want to remind you of the possibility of being a part of a, uh, of, a, of, a, of a meeting that will help you allow God to restore you in the process. It's called Here, Here, and the details and how we make those meetings happen are on there. Happens Thursday at 5.05. Okay, say this, our theme with me again. Hear my Lord, restore me. And now let's pray it. Hear my Lord, restore me. We look forward to it. In Jesus' name, amen. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to be reminded at the beginning of this new trimester of your greatness. We thank you that we have been reminded that you invite us to come and to experience your greatness. The purity, the restoration that you offer to us is a reflection of who you are. And as you offer to us your purity, your restoration, it is an invitation to experience you. And as we experience you, you remold us into your image, your nature, your character. And so we come before you, yielded, hungry, praying, Lord, May we be like you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Welcome back. Did you have a good Christmas? How many of you got married over Christmas? Okay. Yeah. Well, I had a good Christmas too. Um... Christmas is, is really a time for encounters with God, is it not? That's what the Christmas event was all about. And I hope that as you celebrated Christmas, you had the opportunity to uh, encounter God in, in some way. Um, 
as Marsh and I were making our preparations, we were going back home, Michigan and in Illinois, to spend a couple of weeks with family. And um, there, there's a lot of different ways to encounter God. Uh, the, the week before we left, we found out that uh, a close family friend uh, had just entered the hospital, found out that she had uh, inoperable liver cancer and probably just months to live. And so part of our encounter with God during Christmas was coming face to face with the reality of death and with the destiny of all of us to someday stand before God and give an account for our lives. As we talk about Christmas and encounters with God, I imagine that some of you are reviewing your celebration, thinking about ways that uh, maybe you encountered God. Hopefully it wasn't uh, for all of us that kind of an encounter, but I hope that you did encounter God. Christmas is really about the response of the human heart to the encounter of a God who chose to be one with us. That really is the, the, the same as the focus for our chapel services for this year. Chaplain Mike has, has taken us to uh, Isaiah chapter 6 and, and the encounter of Isaiah with God in the Holy of Holies. And that encounter of Isaiah is to be uh, an example for us of, of what God, how God wants us to encounter him and how he wants us to respond to that encounter. In the fall, we were looking at the response of the human heart in the, the, the plea and the prayer for purity. Now tonight we make a transition and, and in our encounters we are beginning to look at the response of the, the human heart that, that cries out to God. Here am I. Restore me. I want to look at a passage of scripture uh, in the Old Testament. I encourage you to grab your Bibles and open to the book of Jeremiah chapter 31. Jeremiah 31. We're going to be looking at a passage that uh, many of us will recognize as a familiar Christmas text. It is a prophecy, a, a, a familiar prophecy of the coming of Messiah. Jeremiah 31, chapter 31, verses 15 through 21. Let's start with verse 15. And in this verse, we see Jeremiah provides for us a picture of 
the need for restoration. Verse 15 really is a, a cry of great sorrow. This is what the Lord says. A voice is heard in Ramah. Mourning and great weeping. Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted. Because her children are no more. Now as a prophecy... Jeremiah's message relates to the Old Testament context and to his, his original hearers, but it also has a relevance to the New Testament and to those to whom uh, God was wanting to share the message when the prophecy was to be fulfilled. But also there is a spiritual context in, in terms of the message that God intends for each of us to hear today. In the Old Testament context, the message relates to the impending destruction of Judah and the exile, the complete exile of its people. They would be no more. And there would be great weeping, great sorrow. In the New Testament, it relates to and speaks about those mothers of Bethlehem whose children were snatched from their arms and slaughtered by Herod in an attempt to snuff out the life of the Messiah. For us today, in a spiritual context, it speaks to us about all that Satan and sin has slaughtered within our lives. About the, the blessings and the grace of God that have been snatched from us and destroyed before our very eyes. Verse 16, Jeremiah speaks in response to this great cry of weeping and sorrow. He speaks about the promise of restoration, which is the return. My children are no more. And the promise is they will return. In the Old Testament context, Jeremiah refers to the remnant who will return from exile and once again live as the people of God. In the New Testament context, it refers to the new remnant from all the nations who become children of God through the blood and the Spirit of Jesus Christ. In 
our context, in our lives. It speaks about each and every one of us <laughs> who through Jesus Christ and through His Holy Spirit experience the abundant life that God intends for each and every one of us. It is the promise. That which was stolen, that which was slaughtered, that which was exiled has now been returned. Restoration. Verse 17, Jeremiah talks about the power of restoration, which is the hope for the future that God provides for us. Verse 17, so there is hope for your future, declares the Lord. Your children will return to their own land. Old Testament context. Jeremiah is giving to the people the promise, the hope, that not only will they return, but they will reestablish Jerusalem, and they will rebuild the Davidic kingdom. There is a future. This is not the end. This is not what God intends for you, this exile. The day will come when there is a hope, and that hope is re re reborn in you. New Testament context is the great vision that we have of the new Jerusalem and the fulfillment of the eternal Davidic kingdom in Jesus Christ to which there will be no end for us it is the personal promise that we have from Jesus Christ in my father's house are many mansions and if I go and prepare a place for you I will return that you may be where I am. We have a hope. We have a future. God wants to restore to us everything that Satan and sin has stolen and slaughtered. That's the power of restoration. The hope that we have in God through Jesus Christ. Look at verses 18 through 19. In these two verses, we have the personal impact of restoration. We have here a prayer. A prayer of one of those in exile. I have surely heard Ephraim's moaning. You disciplined me like an unruly calf, and I have been disciplined. Restore me, and I will return. Because you are the Lord my God, after I strayed, I repented. After I came to understand, I beat my breast. 
I was ashamed and humiliated because I bore the disgrace of my youth. <laughs> there is only one context here. Because Jeremiah is speaking to us about the gateway to restoration. And the gateway to re restoration is the same no matter what context you're in. It is the transformation of the heart from rebellion to repentance, from self-centered pride to humble submission. Through the working of God, <laughs> there is a change occurring within our hearts. Without that transformation, there is no, no restoration. And then in verse 20, we have the response of God to this prayer. And in that response, we find the foundation of restoration. Which is the very nature of God. Is not Ephraim my dear son, the child in whom I delight? Though I often speak against him, I still remember him. Therefore, my heart yearns for him. I have great compassion for him, declares the Lord. The true foundation of our hope, our promise for restoration, our experience of restoration, is the character of God. Though I discipline you, though you are the object of my wrath, understand this, you are my enemy only in your own mind, in my heart, you are my child. I discipline you because I love you, not because I hate you. I have compassion for you. What I do, I do in order that you might have a new life. That you might be free from the consequences of your own choices and your own actions. I offer you restoration because of who I am. As part of my preparation for the message tonight, one of the things that I did was a word study in the Old Testament. Uh, of restoration. And what I discovered is, is that restoration really is a, a gem of God's grace. And, and you all know how a gem is created. You, you take a rough stone out of the ground. Uh, not much appealing about it. But a jeweler takes that rough stone and and carefully examines it until 
the light, the radiance, the, the glory that exists inside it begins to present itself to him. Once the jeweler discovers that radiance that's inside, he begins to, to chip away at the stone. Very precisely. And, and each chip, each strike, creates a, a new surface. Creates a, a, a facet to the jewel. And when the jeweler is done, all these facets become windows through which that inner radiance, that inner beauty, that inner glory presents itself to the world. What I discovered is that restoration is a jewel of God's grace. It has several different facets through which we see the radiance, the glory, the beauty of God. Something similar to this, I think. I had a flashlight up here. It's gone. But you can see this. A crystal snowflake. Can you catch the the different facets and, and how the light is refracted and reflected in each facet. And as you see each facet from a different perspective, you see different light, different shades, different radiance, different beauty. That's God's restoration. I've, you should have received a sheet on which is contained six facets of the jewel of God's grace of restoration. One, fortunes. When we speak of God's restoration, it means to return one from captivity in a foreign land of punishment and discipline to the land of promise to change of one's status from shame of slavery to that of honor due a child of God. Another facet refers to restoration of life and health. It means to reverse the destructive spiritual, physical, mental, emotional, and social consequences of sin and guilt as well as the ultimate consequence of earthly and eternal death. Another facet refers to joy, which means to remove the spirit of guilt, shame, and despair that accompanies sin and its destructive results and to replace it with the spirit of hope, peace, and thankfulness. Relationship means restoration is to have God's wrath and anger against oneself removed along with the alienation from him that it causes and to bring back into his compassion and love. 
reconstruction. To be restored in terms of being rebuilt, to rebuild the external conditions and circumstances of one's life that had been destroyed by sin, and to restore them to beauty and functionality. Finally, the facet of regeneration, which means to be restored, to bring those who have strayed from God's will back into the path of righteousness and to remove the moral depravity that led to their disobedience, renewing a godly character within them. We don't have a lot of time, but what I would like to do is just have two people tonight to provide a one-minute testimony. Of these six facets of restoration, which one have, have you experienced to a great degree in your own life? How have you experienced God's restoration? Mine is through uh, reconstruction. You know, I've been up and down, fighting with depression, and if it weren't for bad luck, I'd have none. But yet, God has always brought me back and rebuilt me, even from the depths of tragedy. Amen. Praise the Lord. One more. How have you experienced the grace of God's restoration in your life? I was saying regeneration. Because, um, I was saying regeneration because before there was God in my life, I didn't have the moral standards. I didn't understand the the holiness of God. I didn't understand his standards. I had my standards. I had family standards. I did things according to the way I was reared, not according to biblical principles. And I, they, I didn't choose friends um, in a way where we would have a, a spiritual sister or brotherly bonding. I, there was depravity that I didn't see that is in the Bible. There were things I did. I mean, I did. I used to get high. I used to smoke drugs. I used to drink. I used to hang out. I, um, I associated with people who stole. Um, and all of those things were fine as long as you worked and you maintained yourself. And, you know, you, in Washington, D.C., if you look beautiful, you were great. But I don't think that way anymore. God has regenerated my mind, and he has given me a, a set of holy standards to live by. Amen. Praise the Lord. You can clap. That's fine. Yeah. Restoration. There's one more verse I want to read for us. 
Verse 21. Set up road signs. Put up guideposts. Take note of the highway. The road that you take. Return, O virgin Israel. Return to your towns. This is a call to those still in exile. Still needing restoration. That road from, from exile back to promised land can be a treacherous one. Definitely an unfamiliar one. Those pilgrims who are returning need road signs, need guideposts that help them to identify the way of holiness, to stay in the path. You know what I came to understand through this passage? You and I are the road signs. We're the guideposts. You see, as we experience the, reg the, the restoration of God, we become a facet on the gem of His grace. And His glory, His beauty, His radiance shines through us. And He places us in the lives of pilgrims to whom He's calling. Return. Return. And we become the method by which He keeps them in the highway of holiness. As we close tonight, we're going to sing a song. And as we sing, God is asking us to respond to an encounter with Him. He offers restoration. The message, the prophecy of Jeremiah is for us. There may be an area of our lives that needs restoration. But also, I know with me, as God was speaking to me through this message, it was, I have placed you in this person's life to be a road sign. If they are going to find and experience the grace of my restoration, it's going to be because they have seen the radiance, the glory, the beauty of that through your life. There may be one person God lays upon your heart tonight. And he's calling you. Will you be the road sign? Will you let my restoration shine through you so that they may see and find their way home to me? If God speaks to you in either or one of those ways as we sing, will you come? 
just respond to him tonight and his offer of restoration. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you for the promise and the hope of restoration. And we come before you acknowledging our continued need of registration, restoration. Lord, this is, this is not a matter of salvation. Lord, we will need your restoration all the days of our lives. Whether it's, it's in our character, Lord, it, it may be in our marriages. It may be in our relationships with our children, families, friends. Lord, we need you to restore all that we surrendered to Satan when we chose to rebel against you and all that he has stolen, stamped, slaughtered since then. We weep what we have lost for the blessings of your grace that we have sacrificed but we weep as those have a promise, a hope of a future, a God who loves us, who cares enough to discipline us. And Lord, we weep for those in our lives. who still live in slavery. Lord, we weep. For the price they pay every day. joy knowing that you are working in us chipping away at everything that would hide your glory your radiance your beauty remaking us in your image restoring in us your glory your beauty your radiance 
Lord, may we lift you up so that we may be a guidepost to them. That they may see there is a promised land. There is a highway of holiness. They can return. They can know hope. They can have a future. We weep for the day, Lord. That we will be able to celebrate their homecoming. When Jesus Christ is born again in them. And we thank you. And it is in the name of Jesus Christ. We offer ourselves in thanksgiving. Amen.